Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. If colleagues from FE colleges engage with research, they know what are the issues and potentially uh, what would help them in terms of research knowledge to improve just the, their teaching approach, for example, or how... So in a way, I feel that they are the people who actually know their context and they know what they need. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Alistair? I'm not too bad at all. Thank you very much. Have you done anything exciting in the last few days? I have. I was at the LSRN conference with the fantastic Joe. You were, you were, we it were. It was great. Really. Yeah, it was we a fantastic better, event. Yeah. We better say what it is. So the LSRN is the Learning and Skills Research Network, and I'm a convener. Alistair was there um, as a photographer, but also a speaker for the evening symposium. Um, what were, what were your highlights of that particular day then? It would be so hard to to kind of categorize them all. Um, but there were so many wonderful moments where like ideas just popped out and people were able to to kind of share their voice. Uh, and of course, um Pip, who we've had on the podcast, um managed to capture lots of that in her poetry. Um, and I think it was quite nice where she uh, she started one saying this one's Joe's fault as well. Yeah. So quite clearly. (laughs) So we had a poet in residence um, at the conference, didn't we? And um, I think she really, um, really excited people. And and it was just so relevant. She did. uh, What was the uh, what would your research say about you? That was fantastic. That one, because I knew immediately my research would say about me. Where the heck are you? (laughs) Why are you ignoring me? So I thought that was brilliant. And choose research and truffled pedagogy, which she spoke about, didn't she? So, yeah, I absolutely love that. What what about your highlights, Joe? I'm going to... well, you've covered Pip, so I'm going to talk Chantel Brown, the the send uh, speaker and lecturer. Absolutely amazing. Every policy bod should be speaking to Chantel. She absolutely, she's a policy geek, but also is a practitioner on the ground, and she absolutely knows the reality. So she is amazing. So anybody, any policymakers out there who are interested in send should absolutely speak to Chantel. Um, and um, and I think had... she managed to get a lump in everyone's throat by oh, the end of that did. one as well. She so did. Um, and then um, the other keynote was um, Emma, who's a principal in a college, um, has got all her staff um, engaged in research. So that's amazing. But then the just the sheer diversity of speakers across all the different sessions was just incredible from practitioners to professors. And, you know, no, it was it, 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 eventually when I calmed down, um, it was amazing. Yeah. Let's move on to tonight's then. Uh, or could be this morning when somebody's listening. So in this edition of the podcast, we're really excited to have Dr. Andrea Lazik. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Joe. Hi, Alistair. Hi. Tell, uh, do you know what I should have said before is just correct me in the pronunciation of your surname. Tell us how we say your surname. Lutzik. Lutzik. Oh, okay. In my ears, that was the same, but it absolutely probably wasn't to you. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, well, uh, Andrea is, um, she works for the um, 
or she'll tell us more about her role herself, but she does work for the Edge Foundation, which we'll hear more about. She's worked there since 2017. She's worked in the field of education research and policy evaluation for over 20 years now. She's been a researcher at Oxford University and and, and uh, I think it was Warwick. Can't read my own writing. Uh, also taught at Oxford, originally from Hungary, but she's here now. She's been here a while. Um, so you can correct all that information I've just shared by telling us ac- more accurately. Alistair's going to ask you the first um, set of questions and then I'm going to come back with some more. So thanks so much for being here. Okay, Andrea. Right. Yeah, let's get straight in here. Find out a little bit about you. So tell tell me a bit about your career and your background. Um, I know we got the, the kind of condensed version from Joe there, but let's hear it from you. Okay. I mean, I'm uh, Probably you can hear from my accent. I'm a native Hungarian. So I did all my education back in Hungary, uh, finished my first degree in business administration there. But I always had an interest in education. So when I was about 18, 19, I started to teach languages because languages are my passion. Mm -hmm. So I studied uh, Russian and German, uh, and that goes well with business. And then um, uh, I moved country. And I landed in Oxford. And here, I mean, after a few years, I started my uh, master course at the Department of Education and uh, my uh, DPhil, and then moved to Warwick University and then eventually to Edge, where I am at the minute. Excellent. And you mentioned the, the DPhil there, but tell us a bit about your doctoral research. What was the, what was the um, topic that you chose for that? I mean, I did a piece of research uh, as my uh, doctoral research, which was about uh, school choice from the perspectives of parents in Hungary and Russia. And um, uh, I was doing a qualitative piece of work. So I did uh, case studies in both of the countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that I was interested in uh parents' perspectives, I also felt that um, in these two countries, I can actually do my own data collection uh, because I speak the languages. And it, it, I still feel that it added a little bit extra uh, mm-hmm. to the research I have done uh, because I, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm passionate about languages. And I think it's, uh, it's really it's not only uh, speaking and uh, reading and listening, but picking up the culture, picking up their understanding, how they think and how they articulate what they think. I have been always fascinated uh, by this. And I thought it was really interesting to talk to uh, parents uh, whose children were in primary school. So I looked into primary schools, uh, school choice. And it was also interesting at the time. I uh, completed my uh, DPhil in 2005. Uh, school choice uh, was parents' rights from uh, 1996. So it was quite mm-hmm. new when I did my research. And it was interesting because it was uh, not only, as I found out, not only about school choice, but parents actually had choice within a school because primary schools, um, there were several parallel classes going. So there were several different uh, class teachers uh, Mm -hmm. teaching the children. So uh, parents were able to 
choose teachers or they were also able to choose different programs if they wished. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody was uh, choosing, but the possibility was there. And it was really interesting to talk to parents about their thinking behind where their uh, precious child should start schooling. It's, It's really interesting as well. And we often say this, we can see one another while we're recording this and um, you can tell from your facial expressions just how engaged and and kind of how much you love that research as well. You're really happy talking about that. Um, So tell us a bit about your role as head of research at the EDGE Foundation. Thank you. I'm actually director of research now. So I have moved up the ladder, if you like. But at the end of the day, it's it's a really exciting uh, place to work for EDGE. Uh, partly because um, uh, we are focusing uh, on vocational education and training within the research team. Uh, EDGE clearly has a broader remit, but I do think when uh, we are developing expertise, there is a limit what we can uh, claim for. So uh, I have a really excellent uh, team uh, I have three other researchers uh, in the research team, uh, Dana, Kat, and Josh, and they are really uh, very well, uh, highly educated, very enthusiastic, very able, and they are just a, a pleasure to work with. So I think uh, we have an excellent team there. So I'm leading the team, uh, the research team. Mm-hmm. I'm leading the thinking behind uh, what we are doing. But having said that, I think research is a teamwork. So you can't do research on your own, not even when you are uh, talking about strategic thinking, mm-hmm. because uh, you you have to discuss and consider what other people are saying uh, from within your team. But I mean, apart from the research itself, uh, clearly I'm also line managing some um considering uh, continuous professional development for my team. So it's much, much broader. So it's a a professional and personal development and everything is uh, supporting high quality research, what I hope uh, we can claim for. And um, I mean, there's there's quite a remit in there and you you sort of um, you said there's that focus on the vocational education side of things, but what what are your ambitions and focus um, for the work that you're doing there? I mean, as I, I said earlier, I think um, uh, we are aiming for high quality uh, products, if you like. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we are uh, aiming to do is piece of research of high quality and rigorous pieces of work. And that's from the setting up the project throughout the uh, process, including the report writing and dissemination afterwards. I mean, clearly, uh, I have to acknowledge uh, the limitations. So we are a small team. So Mm -hmm. we always have to consider our resources, mainly uh, researchers' time. But I think my uh, hope and ambition uh, would be uh, to become a trusted vocational education and training uh, research team where people 
would come to us and ask us for their for our opinions and they would trust the reports which we publish yeah that makes a lot of sense and but as part of that of course there's lots of engaging with other other areas and supporting the education sectors and and other institutions how do you go about making sure that you're engaging with those i mean clearly we have uh quite strong contacts with uh, schools, colleges, and uh, also higher education, Mm -hmm. because uh, I do think uh, we have to communicate with all sectors and all key stakeholders to know what they need from us. Mm -hmm. So our research is not coming out of the blue. We have to look at uh, what other researchers, what research other researchers are doing that we are not repeating but Mm -hmm. uh, we are adding to the piece what they are doing. Wherever we can, we visit further education colleges. So recently we went up to Sunderland uh, to visit the college there. Uh, And it's always, uh, it's exciting and hearing from colleagues what they care about and how they solve uh, their challenges, what challenges there are and so on. I think it's really important to keep close contact with them. Okay. And you were saying um, before, Andrea, that um, before we started recording, that actually Edge has changed quite a lot since you've been a part of that. Tell us about that as well. Yes. I mean, um, I joined, as uh, Joe said, in 2017. And um, at that time, uh, I mean, research was a small aspect, what Uh, Edge was doing and the pieces were mainly commissioned Mm -hmm. and in the past five six years I mean it's not only that uh, the research team has grown so we are now uh, four people doing research but uh, also we are uh, we have moved more to collaborative pieces of research so we are uh, doing research uh, different pieces of research with uh, university teams and uh, actually, we also have been doing a few commission pieces of work. So this is certainly, I think it's a long way away from where we started in 2017 when I joined. Thanks very much for that insight, Andrea. I know Joe's got a few more questions that she wants to ask you about your work as well. So over to you, Joe. Um, okay, so obviously not all of your research has a has has practical implications, but how do you ensure that the high quality research that you're undertaking and the the, uh, the outputs of that um, are disseminated to you know those within this within the particularly we're interested in FE. So in you know how would people in the classroom or leadership teams within colleges, for example, how would your research end up with them? But it's a really uh, good question because uh, there are always uh, challenges, as you know. And of course, um, uh, the research we do, especially the research which has uh, teaching and learning relevance, uh, should end up with those who are teaching and learning. Uh, I mean, again, uh, I have to refer back to our comms team here, partly because they are uh, doing a great job. Uh, disseminating the key uh, findings of our research. But also um, we have close contact with, for example, the Association of Colleges. Uh, You went to the LSRN conference. I didn't uh, manage to get there. 
but uh, we are in close contact with them. So we are uh, uh, trying to uh, put in information into newsletters, which we know practitioners would read. But clearly on top of all this, uh, we are also uh, attending and uh, presenting at various conferences where uh, the audience can be a mix mix of uh, practitioners, policymakers, and uh, clearly a lot of researchers. Yeah, I think it's a um, a real challenge from the other end, I'd say, you know, somebody more on the shop floor, <laughs> almost for us to know where we should be looking. And, you know, um, and I think there's quite often a bit of confusion between Education Endowment Foundation and the Edge Foundation, for example, you know, he was looking at the outputs of all these different groups. So, yeah, it is a it's a it's a challenge, isn't it? Um, okay, so um, thinking specifically about the practical implication based pieces that you've done, are there any um, studies that you would like to highlight to FE practitioners that you think might be particularly of interest? I mean, potentially. Um... I mean, we have several different uh, uh, pieces of research publications on our website. Um, and I, I can think of two pieces of uh, work which we have completed, actually. One is not necessarily uh, FE relevant, but it's about uh, skills development in mainstream schools. But I think uh, there could be uh, interesting aspects also for uh, ethical colleagues. Um, and the other piece of work which we have uh, done, we uh, investigated how the British uh, IRS ethical colleges have responded to COVID. And we were focusing uh, specifically on vocational education and training courses. So, how did they overcome the challenges of lockdown? Moving everything online, and I think it's uh, it is it has been it was a very interesting and exciting piece of work, uh, which also highlighted a lot of uh, issues such as how important context is, because of course uh, in the British Isles, um, especially when we are thinking about the Crown depend- Dependency Islands, where they can. Um, approach uh, their solutions differently from the from England, for example. So I think it was really interesting. Uh, A, because they are small, they are independent. So uh, the colleges could uh, maybe I can say pre-plan a little better than what we could do on the uh, in England. So uh, they were thinking, for example, um, when the first lockdown came, they were thinking about uh, how they could move the theoretical part of the curriculum to the fore, whereas keeping the practical part, which, uh, which is more difficult to deliver online, keeping to the time when potentially that wouldn't be lockdown, for example. Um, so that that was quite interesting, and even though most people thought that delivering the theoretical part of the curriculum is easier online, 
but we did uh, come across with some uh, really interesting and innovative approaches to how vocational uh, teachers delivered their part of the curriculum online successfully. So I think that piece of uh, research is an interesting read, and I think there is a lot uh, to learn from it. And of course, all the resources <clears throat> which are needed for an online delivery. Yeah, I think because um, there might be a sense of, oh, we're through that now, you know, that kind of. But of course, you're right. There were so many actually exciting pedagogical moves in that time to do with learning online and remote learning, which actually some some centres have been able to retain and, and make further advances with. So, yeah, it sounds like it's definitely worth a read. Um, I wanted to ask you about a recent piece of work that you've undertaken. Uh, it was called the Learning from the Past series. And I was I was fascinated by this because I sometimes find that I'm living in some kind of a loop. We're having the same conversations again and again about, you know, things come round in cycles. So the very idea that somebody's actually taken stock of, well, what can we, what we've already done? What can we learn from the past? Just, you know, sounds fantastic. So do you want to tell us a bit about that series? Why you did it? How you did it? What did you find? Yes. I mean, uh, that's again, that uh, the idea came about two years ago. It came about because, as you said, we are talking about uh, so many times that, oh, we have done this before. So uh, what's new? Um, and we just thought that we talk about it, but nothing is really happening. Um, and we came up with the idea of uh, basically developing a series of uh, reviews, which we have done. I think we published 13 reviews. All 13 reviews are... Uh, either related to vocational education and training or to young people uh, coming from disadvantaged background. And we also have a couple which is uh, related to uh, higher education, like the polytechnics, for example. And uh, we thought that if we look at one successful or unsuccessful past policy initiative, and we, we were not planning to look at it in great details, but we wanted to reflect. Again, I mentioned the context before. What was the policy context? Why was it developed? How was it developed? Was it successful? Why was it successful? And then reflect on what can we learn from that now? So we thought it would be a, a, a valuable exercise. Uh, and it, we decided that the reviews uh, could be done by our uh, emergency, emerging researchers network members because the Edge has a, a network where we are meeting with the, uh, those researchers uh, who are new to research. They can be um, PhD students or uh, researchers at a uh, university. Um, and we offer them the choice of uh, policy initiatives, and they could actually dig into their own pieces of research and think what past history could be useful here. So we eventually identified as we went along this 13. And I, I think there are several reasons why uh, this was important. One is because uh, 
generally speaking, I think we don't remember. If you are thinking about uh, policymakers, in the civil service, they are moving from one place to another quite regularly and quite frequently. So uh, we can't be very much surprised that they don't remember what happened, not even maybe five, six years ago. Uh, we often talk about uh, policy amnesia and developing an institutional policy memory, which is important. So we thought that with this piece of work, we would maybe just add a little bit to each of these and is it and uh, I, I've, I've been taken that there are a lot of reports there so um have have policymakers access these is, it, is that how it works i mean do you or do you shove them <laughs> towards them or are they asking for them how how does that work i mean <laughs> both actually sometimes you shove <laughs> right but, but uh yes you do uh uh we are taking all opportunities where we can mention this piece of research. We have uh, very good contacts with uh, IFIT colleagues and DFE colleagues, and they were very appreciative and very open. Uh, so it it was really well received. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, I, yeah, I imagine you're doing yeah a, a sort of a, a great service there. Um, I'm just going. I'm just going to pick up about the ed- edge network then, because that might be something people listening to this will be would be interested in. Is that something open to different people to join in with, or how does that work? I mean, we have various networks uh, which we convene from Edge, and one is the uh, Early Career Research Network. Uh, yes, all networks are open. I think the. Uh, when I set up the Early Career Researchers Networks, I think the only criteria uh, I set for myself that uh, I didn't want several people from the same university. Because I thought for uh, a, you need a, a size which is manageable. We wanted to set up a network where uh, researchers actually get to know each other. Uh, they develop a collegial uh, partnership but also they can discuss their own researchers, they can test their research ideas. If they have challenges, they can discuss that. So uh, we don't have uh, limits on the numbers, but as you can imagine, as a a sort of relatively small network uh, where people would benefit probably most. And we do have about 25, 30 people at the minute. We are always open. So if anybody is interested, uh, should drop a line. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you might have two people in the room that might be interested. But yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Um, so I know that uh, the Edge Foundation are one of the supporting partners, along with ETF and NCFE, with AOC's Research Further Program. There's a lot of acronyms there, I'm realising. Goodness me. So... NCFE, can't remember what, this, what that stands for, but they're an awarding body. ETF is the Education and Training Foundation. Hopefully people know AOC, Association of Colleges. So Research Further launched a couple of years ago, didn't it? First 10 or 11 scholars, people being supported through sort of higher level um, research programs, but they've just recruited five more, one of whom we know really well, Amy Woodrow, because she's in LSRM. But do, you want, but do you want to tell us a bit more about, or anything really, a little bit about that research further program? Why is it important and why are the Edge Foundation involved in that? 
I mean, several reasons why uh, this initiative is in, important. I mean, probably I would start with the fact that clearly, uh, if uh, colleagues from FA colleges uh, engage with research, they know uh, what are the issues uh, and potentially uh, what would help them in terms of research knowledge uh, to improve just the, the teaching approach, for example, or how. Uh, so in a way, I feel that they are the people who actually know their context and they know what they need. Yeah. So all the, all the people who uh, are supported through the research further, clearly uh, pursuing a piece of research, which is very, very relevant for them and for the sector. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, with the demise of other opportunities, it's one of the few opportunities uh, available at the moment, isn't it, for um, the FE sector? So it is, you know, it's brilliant that that's surviving and thriving. But you, you were, you were moving on to then, and I suppose that is my final question. You're, you're, you're saying that, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great thing for FE teachers to be involved in research and improving their practice, etc. But that is not a widely held view. <laughs> sector I think we can safely say it's not um, you know I mean Alistair and I are involved in sort of movements and activities that are about teachers in FE being involved in research but it's not something we are surrounded fully by so you know what's your view then on the FE sector's ability um, to be more engaged with that research and practice field I mean, it's an interesting question, and I have been thinking about that a lot because I'm, if you like, a professional researcher. Um, but I, I think uh, we could look at it from a from a slightly different angle because uh, if anybody would like to progress and develop, uh, that is definitely uh, one way forward. I don't necessarily think that the people who are doing uh, their uh, MSc or uh, one-year study or a PhD, they would turn themselves into a researcher, but they would develop the skills and the knowledge how to do pieces of research, which could be very beneficial for uh, their FE college, and also for later how they read and understand existing research, because I think that's. Um, usually another criticism of uh, research publications that they are not necessarily re reader friendly if you like for practitioners uh, i'll say <laughs> yeah absolutely um it's well it's probably sometimes a bit like me trying to read russian i'd say as, as a russian speaker you are um okay well look um we're coming to the end of our uh, time together, but I just thought I'd throw in a light-hearted question. Um, as you are from Hungary, um, I thought perhaps, could you share with us something that we are unlikely to know about Hungary, but that everybody should know? <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. uh, right. It's a light-hearted answer then. Yes. yes. Uh, the goulash... Mm. It's not a stew, but it's a soup. Ah, uh, uh, that is a revelation. 
because I thought the consistency of it was sort of like had potato in or something. It was quite thick. So there you go. We now know. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so thanks so much for spending a bit of time with us. We will post the links uh, with this podcast to um, some of the things that you've mentioned um, during our our conversation today, so that people can follow follow those things through. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. Bye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.